1: Questo suono. dal sud america fino giù in senegal profumo d'africa nella nuova guinea la sentirai in albania che assomiglia a casa mia riparte dal belgio arriva in croazia slovacchia polonia e rodo And welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Worldwide Series. This is a series all about our fans. I'm convinced that we have the best fans in the world, so I wanted to give our fans all over the world a platform where they can speak their minds, and this way you, the listeners, can hear some opinions and viewpoints that are different than my own. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening. We're coming back home for today's episode. For those who don't know, I live in Toronto, Canada, as does today's guest. Today's guest is Vincenzo Bertillo. Vincenzo, welcome to Fortunapoli.
0: Joe, thanks so much for having me on. It's a great honor, and uh, I'm humbled you asked me to be on. And you know, we're neighbors, so hopefully down the road one day we can uh, do this in person.
1: Absolutely, and maybe with a drink in hand as well. Uh, oh, it's no. it, <laughs> it's always my pleasure to have guests on. I really, really enjoy this series. Uh, we're recording on Tuesday, so I definitely want to get your thoughts on the win over Torino. It was a result that I think we were all cautiously expecting against an informed Torino side fully entangled in the relegation battle. That said, there was still plenty to chat about from that match. But before we get to the game, I want to start with your story, as I always do. So please tell us, how did you become a Napoli fan?
0: Well, for me, like so many others of your guests, uh, my dad is from Madaloni, which is just outside Naples. So for me, being a Napoli fan was kind of a birthright. My mom's family is from Terracina, which is just south of Rome. But no one on that side of the family is a fan of Lazio or Rome. They're all fans of the northern teams. And I never really identified with that. So I've always been a an Napoli fan. And, you know, I was born at the very end of 1989. So it's kind of a blessing and a curse. I was born as we were winning our second and final, well, final for now, Scudetto. And unfortunately, you know, my first 10, 15 years of life coincided with not the best years, as you know, of our beloved Napoli. Uh, However, I always said I was a Napoli fan, even if I couldn't watch very many of the games. So, you know, growing up, I would watch Serie A. I was a fan of individual players. Obviously, I was a huge fan of the Italian national team. And around the same time as uh, we won the World Cup, Napoli came back. To Serie A, and you know I, I really credit Aurelio Di Laurentiis for making the team be like a phoenix rising from the ashes, and we've continued to soar pretty much since then. And I've been religiously following the team since we've been back in Serie A.
1: Yeah, I think that's something we always have to remind ourselves with De Laurentiis. He's a character, and he's going to say a lot of crazy stuff, and. We may not always agree with some of the decisions he makes, like things with naming rights or you know, right now we're, we're going to talk later about the coaching situation, but we always have to remember that he brought us back to this point where we're pretty close to competing for a Scudetto. I know a lot of people think we should be this year and unfortunately that's not the case, but this was something that I, I talked to David Ferrini about not too long ago because the fans that do have some recollection of, of the tough days and we're not talking about finishing outside of Champions League. We're talking about Zeddy B and Zeddy Chi. I think there's a greater appreciation for for De Laurentiis back then. Let's talk about this Torino match. Sure. I'm curious to know just on start with some general thoughts absolutely. On how they played. Why don't we start with Torino's play? Um, what did you think about their performance before we talk about Napoli's?
0: Well, I think you have to draw the line. I draw the line after the second goal. There's the absolutely frenetic start to the game. And Napoli, much like in our previous game with Lazio, hit them with what I call the one-two punch. We had those two goals in succession within the first 15 minutes of the game. And I think it's, it's hard to judge both Napoli and Torino after a moment like that. You know, when you're a team like Torino, you're fighting to avoid relegation and you get two goals in the first 15 minutes against a team like Napoli, who clearly have a far better squad, it's not easy. And I thought that they put in a good amount of effort. The effort was there. They have a certain amount of grinta. They had a lot of fouls. I think that they never gave up. But at the end of the day, we dominated the match. And I think that it was very difficult for them to find hope. And without getting a goal back, there wasn't much they could really do.
1: Yeah, it was a little bit shaky for that opening 10 minutes until until we scored our first. I was a little bit surprised. I'm not sure if you were, um, but I was surprised to see Torino's high press. In our last meeting that we played against them, they played a low block and it was very effective. Now, that was under Marco Giampaolo, so a different coach, maybe a different philosophy. But it worked really well, and in the last meeting, we really struggled to create anything, and I mean, that was also largely on our own lack of creativity, and we were also missing players, we were missing Koulibaly, who's not maybe that involved in the attack, obviously, but Mertens and Osman were both out, we had fewer options, but still plenty of quality in the squad, that for me, that was one of our most disappointing matches of the season, and so I was expecting that to happen again, at least in terms of Torino's approach, sit deep and, and look for opportunities to counterattack. And that's part of the reason why I had Dries Mertens in my predicted 11 instead of Victor Osman, because I figured we're going to need to have as many creative players as we can get into the squad to be able to make these quick one-two passes in the midfield of wide, lots of movement interchanging positions to be able to break down that low block. Instead, they played this press which actually stretched Torino out and that created a lot of space on the field and we know that that works in our favor with the way that Victor Oseman plays. So what did you think of Osman's game here?
0: To your point, I think it was excellent anticipation by Gattuso to start Osman. I think, like you, he could have easily started Mertens and, and been thinking, oh, it's going to be the same as last time around. But clearly, he's done his homework on Torino. And the way they were playing, it doesn't make any sense to start anyone other than Osiman up front. Without keeping the low block, the way they were pressing, it just absolutely left all those spaces for Osiman to run into. And I think the teammates, you know, the Insigne's, the Zielinski's, they're starting to really learn to play with him better. And particularly against a team like Torino, where he has all that space to run into. And Victor was so hungry, he was chasing after those balls. That's how he scored his second goal and nearly scored another couple of goals. So... I was really impressed both with the selection of Osemen as well as his hunger. You know, I think other things, the finishing will improve. But Victor has a goal every 96 minutes since his re-entry after COVID and that whole disaster period. So even while he has a lot of room to grow, he's scoring almost a goal a game. He's showing the right hunger. His teammates are learning to play him in better. And I think Gattuso is smart knowing when to select him and when he would be better coming off the bench in the last 20, 30 minutes to, to stretch out a team who's maybe a little bit more tired. And, and I like that we can, we can start Mertens, we can start Victor, depending on the team. Sometimes we can play both of them. And, and I really like that versatility.
1: Yeah, he's scored now five goals. I think he also had an assist in the nine appearances since he came back from that head injury that he suffered against Atalanta. And he only started in four of those games, which I think is why that goals per minute ratio is, is so strong. And I agree completely. I think Gattuso got it right. Again, I was expecting a low block and maybe Gattuso saw something in the film or for whatever reason, he thought Osman's the right guy here. It turned out to be the correct decision and not to belabor the point on the injuries, because you know I've been saying this for a long time and a lot of people don't like that excuse that you know, we dropped points because of injuries and we should have won those matches anyways, and that's probably true. But we're starting to see, you know, how much quality we have in this squad when when we're fully healthy. Imagine being Torino and you're down 2-0 and then you look up and Chucky Lozano is coming on for Matteo Politano and Dries Mertens is coming on for Piotr Zielinski. And then later on, you have Almas coming on, you have Fabian coming on, that's got to be demoralizing for a team like Torino. Even for maybe some of the bigger clubs that, you know, there are not too many teams in this league that have the amount of quality on the bench that we do. And the other thing is, I think going back to your point about Gattuso getting it right, whether it's him or the players or whoever, we're finally starting to use Osman to his strengths. We used to use him with playing passes to his feet with his back to the goal and asking him to hold the ball up like we would expect from Patania, but... Now what we're starting to see is we're playing the ball in front of him and letting him run onto it. And that's where he really excels because of that pace. And then also on your point about his hunger, the guy is working really hard and even though he may have gotten a little bit lucky on that goal to get credit for it because it was kind of cleared off his foot and in, he earned that chance by pressing, I think it was Nkulu. I don't think Nkulu... Realized how quick Osaman is to close him down. And before you know it, he's being chased down. And I guess we kind of realized that maybe Osaman's not as quick with the ball at his feet. And maybe, you know, if I want to split hairs and really get nitpicky, maybe he needs to push that ball further ahead of himself and let him run onto it more instead of taking as many touches. And and Bremer doesn't close him down so quickly. But he earned that goal, whether it was lucky or not.
0: 100%. And another factor is. He likes to put it onto his right foot. And so I think if he was to just go first time with his left, there wouldn't have been that extra bit of hesitation and allow the defender to get a little bit on it. But the bottom line is it still went in the net. I still give the goal, and I'm pretty sure they did give the goal to Victor, right? So it wasn't an own goal. And although that one you could have called lucky, he got a little unlucky with some other chances that he had later on. So I think it balances itself out. And the great thing I love about Victor is almost every time he gets the shot on target. Even if he's not looking or he's half stumbling, he'll shoot it on target. And with him, even if he shoots right at the goalie, his shots are so powerful. We saw against Pepe Reina in particular last week that even if the goalie is pretty much there, sometimes you can't stop those rockets. So he gets the shots on target. He's showing the right hunger. This guy's 22 years old. I myself am just now recovering from COVID. And I can barely do this podcast right now. You can't imagine a player having all the misfortune that he had, and we can get into this later on. But one of the themes and one of the things that I wanted to discuss with you, both as individuals with players and as a group, is the psychology. A lot of times, I think people overlook the mental game and the mental factors, both as a group and as a player. And to be a guy like Victor, coming from league 1, He has that massive pressure with the amount we paid for him coming in, his age, and he had a lot of misfortune. You can say he's to blame for some of it, but the fact of the matter is he's a very young guy. We all remember how it is to be 21, 22 years old. You're allowed to make mistakes, but he's showing the right attitude, the right hunger, and he has that, what I like to call like that immigrant mentality. This guy has fought for everything in his life, and he brings that attitude onto the pitch, and I think that really suits Napoli and Napolitans, and we feed off that energy. We we want that dinta and that hunger, and he'll only get better from here.
1: You're spot on with that assessment, I think. On the hunger, we saw him pounding the ground because he didn't score. I mean, this guy wants to score goals. On his touch and his finishing ability, going back to that same goal you mentioned against Lazio, his first touch was actually quite poor. He kind of didn't receive the ball well and had to sort of let it roll on. And then out of nowhere, fires a rocket into the top corner. And I think that's why Pepe Reina was a little bit caught off guard because he saw that first touch and thought, okay, this is nothing coming of this. And next thing you know, the ball's in the back of the net. And yeah, he's he's still only 22. I think it's easy to forget that. He just turned 22 in December. I mean, that was the whole COVID situation when he went back home. But yeah, he's pretty mature. He's working hard. He's apologized when he's done wrong. And we've seen some of these young players around Europe that, you know, when you give them a, a boatload of money, it's easy for them to go astray. And, and he hasn't. He's working hard. He seems to have a good relationship with Gattuso and things are finally starting to go his way. He clearly
0: has a great relationship with Gattuso and his teammates. We have to give him credit. The guy, I think he already speaks Italian. I've heard him, you know, I've heard him speak. He speaks English. He speaks French. So he's able to communicate really well. He's a, an intelligent guy. And I think that the sky is the limit for his future. This is just barely an antipasto for next season, much like it was with Lozano last season. However, he's doing a lot better than Lozano did last year it's going to be really great to see a full season with a healthy Victor next year.
1: Yeah. And with potentially Lozano on his wing. I mean, that's, that's a whole other debate that maybe we won't get to today, whether we start Lozano or Politano, but these are good problems to have. I think we also defended really well in this game. I talked in my preview about how, if we want to stop Torino, we need to stop that front three of Belotti, Sanabria and Verdi. And, We hardly heard their names called in this match, which is a credit to how well we defended. So let's talk about that a little bit. We have eight wins, two draws, and one loss in our last 11 matches. During that run, we've recorded five clean sheets. What did you think about this defensive performance?
0: I thought considering it was Koulibaly-Rahmani as the center-back pairing, we did excellent. At the end of the day, clean sheet is a clean sheet. You can't complain. Meret did better this game than last game. I found he was a little bit more authoritative. Uh, he had a couple of saves, which were, were key, uh, important moments in the match. And I think that next to Koulibaly, Rahmani is starting to grow. He's comfortable next to K2, as, as anyone would be, as I would be. Having him next to me it would give me a lot of confidence. I can imagine a player like Rahmani. And one thing you have to remember with him, and I'm singling him out because he's the, the new face to that defense in particular, is although he's 27, last year was only his first season in Serie A. So he has a lot of room to grow considering his age, uh, more so than maybe a lot of players in their you know, mid to late 20s. And I think that he has a lot of great physical attributes. He's 6'4", he's strong. He bailed out Koulibaly yesterday when Bali had that slip, you know, which will give him a break. It was raining quite a bit and you know he's human as well. But overall... We did great. And even the fact that we're able to get a a half-decent performance out of Hisai on the left is borderline miraculous, given some of the form that he was in. But I think defending is always a team effort. Attacking is always a team effort. So we can credit the individuals and and the unit, but we have to give credit to the whole team and to Diego Demme in particular for his contributions. Him and Bakayoko... As a midfield too, we'll get into that more later. But they play a big factor in how we defend and how we attack. You know, even Insigne, he was coming deep. He was dictating play. He, he wasn't maybe as showy in the attack yesterday. He was better defending. He was coming back more so than Politano was, I think. And I think it's always a team effort. We have to give the entire team credit when we have a good defensive performance and also with attacking performance.
1: Exactly. I think Gattuso's whole approach is those wingers need to come back and help at the back, and those fullbacks need to get forward and help in the attack. With Hisai, at first I thought he struggled a little bit with the pace of Wilfried Single. We've had some pretty tough matchups in the last three matches on that side we had Ashraf Hakimi for Inter though Mario Rui started in that match then we had Manuel Lazzari for Lazio and now Sengo for Torino so these are some really fast guys that he's had to defend but I thought he was pretty solid at the back he was also very involved in the attack particularly on the counter-attack and he played some really nice long balls on the left wing after Elif Elmas came off the bench likewise I thought Di Lorenzo was pretty solid on the other side I thought Koulibaly was going to be responsible for marking Andrea Bellotti, but it looked to me like that was Rachmani's job, and he did an excellent job of it. Belotti tends to drop into much deeper positions to retrieve the ball, which is partly why he's so difficult to defend, because he gets in between those lines. And I noticed that Rachmani would chase him, but not too far. And then if Bellotti went too deep, he would leave him for the midfielders. You mentioned Bakayoko and them, and we will get to them. And then he would retreat back to his line, which I was really impressed with. Again, that maturity. He is 27, like you said, but he plays with a level of experience that you would expect for someone that's played a lot longer in Serie a, which is, you know, uh, the defensive standards in Serie a are very high, right? He also drew the first yellow card on Mandragora. Lozano drew the second, so... Mandragora is going to miss a a pretty important match for Torino. I think they play against Parma, who's one of those relegation teams that they're competing with, though Parma is pretty much already relegated. I think you could possibly make an argument, and people may not like to hear this, but you could make the argument that Koulibaly was actually our worst defender on the night, which is almost never the case, especially with our left-back situation. And I'm not hating on Koulibaly. The guy is world-class. He's my favorite player. But... I think this was a bit of an off night for him. There was a play that you mentioned in the first half where he overcommitted on Belotti and then Rachmani built him out by blocking the cross. He nearly gifted a chance to Torino in the second half, about midway through the half, but Bakayoko made a really nice sliding tackle to maintain possession of the ball. The only poor defensive play that I can really recall in this match was the play that Ansaldi had early in the second half and That was something else that I mentioned in my preview, that we need to be careful not to get caught on the counterattack, particularly when our fullbacks push forward. And that's exactly what happened on that play. Di Lorenzo made the overlapping run with Politano. Politano conceded possession. He tried to make a claim for a foul, which I don't think was actually there. And then Ansaldi made a really nice move, and he got Rachmani and Koulibaly both to dive in. And that led to the shot that was stopped by Meret. And like you said, Meret had a good performance as well. Obviously, the keeper is a big part of of your defense. And he wasn't terribly busy, but he made the saves that he needed to make that one on Ansaldi was the best one on the night. He still has a little bit of work to do, specifically when he's coming out to collect the ball in the air, I find. He hasn't been too convincing at that, but at the end of the day, we got the clean sheet, so you can't really ask for much more than that. I think part of the reason why Belotti, Sanabria, and Verdi were struggling to get into this game is because Torino barely held the ball. And sometimes the best defense is a good offense. So let's talk about that. What did you think about Napoli's attack in this match?
0: I thought we were amazing. I thought that we created a lot of chances. And what I really liked is even after going 2-0 up, we didn't sit back. We still showed the same hunger. We were still pressing and you could say, oh, we missed a lot of chances, this and that, but Zielinski hit the post, Insigne hits the post. If those two go in on any other day, they could have easily gone in. We're looking at another 4 nothing, or could almost be 5 nothing win. And so you can't always win by that kind of a margin, but to still show that kind of attacking intent after scoring the two early goals is a great sign. I love to see it. Sure, it would have been nice to win by even more of a blowout, but At the end of the day, two goals, clean sheet. We're getting deep-lying midfielders like Bakayoko scoring goals with an assist from Hisai. So when stuff like that is happening in the first 15 minutes of the game, you have to give credit to the whole team for their attacking intent. Other than Politano, who I thought perhaps had a little bit of a lackluster performance after so many great ones in a row. The guy's human. You don't blame him. I thought everyone put in a great effort, and I love to see it. I love that hunger. And I don't want us to ever stop. Like you said, sometimes the best defense is attack. And when we kept the pressure on, Torino didn't know what to do.
1: Yeah, for me, that was the biggest positive takeaway from this match that we continued to attack, which is a stark contrast to what we've been accustomed to seeing. Normally, when we have a lead like that, we sit back and we protect it, which is something that has frustrated a lot of fans. We definitely didn't do that on Monday. We kept on pushing for it, as you said, and Torino could barely touch the ball. Other than that first 10 minutes that we talked about where we were a little bit shaky, I thought we dominated the play. Normally, I don't feel comfortable with a two-goal lead, but this was basically as comfortable as you're going to feel. Thankfully, Torino didn't score because if they did score one, then we would have all been sweating probably to the very end of the match. I still wanted us to score a third goal, though, because Torino are capable of coming from behind. They did that to Atalanta earlier in the season where they fell down... They were behind 3-0 in the opening 20 minutes or so of that match, and they fought all the way back to earn a draw. You mentioned the missed chances. I think that was the one negative takeaway for me from this match. If you look at the official match report, I think we had 25 shot attempts and 12 chances to score compared to Torino's two. And as you said, a couple of them were unlucky. We hit the post a couple of times. Sirigu made a couple of big saves as well. We also have to tip our hat to him. He three big saves on Osman alone, and then I think he made another one on Lozano. But then there were a number of shots where we just missed the target. And I know it was raining, and, and you know that obviously affects the play. But these guys are professionals as well, and they play in the rain all the time, especially during certain times of year. Zelensky had a chance in the first half over the bar. Rachmani had an open header. Mind you, he doesn't score a lot anyway, so you wouldn't necessarily expect a goal there. We had a number of open chances in the second half. Finsinha had a couple of shots. Mertens had a couple of open shots that he normally would do better on. Were you disappointed with the quality of the finishing in this match?
0: Yes and no. I thought Mertens didn't look his best when he came on. I agree. Politano missed a great opportunity in the first half. He put it just wide of the right post. But other than that, like I said, we hit the two posts on any other day. You're talking a matter of centimeters. It's a four-nothing game and you won't even worry about any of the other chances. Obviously, I'd love if we were more clinical, which we were against Lazio, but I'd rather us be a little bit sloppy and miss chances after being 2-0 up than be 0-0 or down and be missing those chances. You know, you can afford the luxury of being slightly sloppy when you're already winning and dominating the game, whereas we've been that sloppy in other games where we were behind, and that's when the frustration really comes in. So the second half, it would have been better if we scored another couple of goals. Like you said, you never feel totally comfortable with a two, nothing lead. However, you know, I, I have a stat here. Napoli have scored in 21 Serie A games for only the third time in history. And the previous two seasons that we did, that was in 1930 and 1975. And we've scored five plus goals, three times and only Bayern Munich and Barcelona this season have done more than that. So at the end of the day, We may have not been at our clinical best, especially in the second half the other day. But overall, I don't think we can complain.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting stat. I wasn't aware of that. And it's going to make me sound like a jerk when I complain some more about the the finishing. But but, I mean, I guess for me, the reason why I was uh, a little bit disappointed with it is because of how tight we know the table is right now and probably will be right down to the final day of the season. And, you know, as of the end of this match day, which I think was 32, um, Atalanta or 33 possibly, but Atalanta are second on 68 points. We're tied with Milan and Juve on 66 points in the event of a three-way tie. The tie break is head to head points between those three teams. And if they're still tied, then it would go to goal differential. Likewise, if we were to finish tied with Juventus on points on the season, because in the two meetings against each other, the aggregate score was 2-2, that means the next tie break in that tie break situation would also be goal differential. So for me, I I would have liked to have scored, I'm sure all of us would have liked to have scored more goals to increase that gap a little bit, as, as good as we've been offensively, because I think possibly now only Atalanta have scored more goals than us. Maybe Inter, it's pretty close. But we only have one goal better than Juventus in terms of goal differential. And, and that's because Juve has been a bit better than us in terms of uh, goals conceded. But hopefully it doesn't come down to that at all. It's We definitely have the, the easier schedule, the easier run-in to finish the season. So hopefully they drop some points and then we don't need to look at these tiebreakers at all. Let's move on to a couple of individual performances. We kind of touched on this already a little bit, but... I thought our midfield was really impressive in this match. I want to start with Timoe Bakayoko. He was in the starting lineup for the second consecutive match. The last match he was in the starting lineup because it was suspended. This match he came in, at least because the reports were that Fabian Ruiz had some back pain, so he came in for this match. What did you think of Bakayoko's performance?
0: He was great. In the game against Torino and against Lazio, he had a great performance. I mean, if you look at those games just as individual games, he was great. But I think we have to bring in a a little bit of a wider talk about Bakayoko to begin with. I think this might be a little bit of a hot take, but I think he's a little bit hard done by. I think people are a little bit too judgmental. And this comes back to the psychology aspect that I was talking about and the mental game. When you're a player who's on a one-year loan contract, that plays in your mind a little bit. In particular, if you're brought in specifically because of the coach who's also on a contract which runs out at the end of the year and because you're so tied together with that coach and the fate of the coach and his position is up in question, that affects the way somebody plays. On top of that, I think if you look at it, Bakayoko, when he plays one game a week, has always performed well. It's when he plays every three days... Physically, he just doesn't seem to be able to keep up with that pace. And the difference, unfortunately, with him between a good game and a bad game is quite stark. So I think now he's fresh. Gattuso, you know, we can have that discussion later, but we know he's going to be here till the end of the year. They have their blinders on. They have that tunnel vision. And I think that Bakayoko had a little bit of a point to prove. He had a little bit of a point to prove in these last couple games he's been getting a lot of hate and just to have the confidence to go on that run and score that goal was truly incredible. I mean, it's not easy to do what he did. He had a bunch of Torino players around him surrounding him and he breaks away and does his thing and goes on that solo run and scores from not an easy angle. And that's not even really what we want from Bakayoko. We're not asking him to be a goal scorer. That's a bonus on top, but it just shows you that when he's confident and his head's in the right place and he's fairly fresh, he can be a great player. And I think if we're going to be going forward playing a 4 2 one formation, then we have, assuming these players don't leave, Deme, Fabian, Bakayoko, and then forget about Lobotka. And I don't think Zielinski or Elmas are best fit in that deep-lying role. So I think we have three good players, really, for two positions and I think in the summer if we bring in one more good midfielder then we have four excellent players all with quite unique characteristics to play in those two positions and Bakayoko is not very expensive and it might be hard to get someone to be as good as him for cheaper look at Loboka was 22 million and the guy doesn't even get three minutes
1: yeah, that's kind of my hot take, which is that I don't think Lobotka gets a fair shake because the guy barely gets to play. So how could he prove himself? But you make a good point. Bakayoko could potentially be that backup player. You don't want him in a starting role, but not playing every week, you know, maybe playing against the weaker clubs when we're playing in Champions League or Coppa Italia, something like that, or play him in the Coppa Italia in the earlier rounds. He can be a useful player. I completely agree in terms of the rest. I think we have a couple of players like that. I consider Fabian to be one of those players that tends to do better once a week. Mano Las is one of those players who tends to do better once a week. I agree he also had a good game against Lazio, which was not something I was expecting, especially going up against players like Luis Alberto and Sergey Milankovic-Savic. And not to discredit his performance in that match, but I did think to myself after the match that maybe we've set our expectations so low for him that we're just happy when he doesn't make mistakes. Then, you know, not even two minutes into this match, he concedes possession in a very dangerous area. And I immediately thought, okay, that Latzo game was maybe just a one-off performance. And now we're back to the Bakayoko that played himself onto the bench. But then he goes on to have another really solid game. And you mentioned the goal... No one expected Bakayoko to score a goal, let alone one like that. As Patrick Hendricks said in the broadcast, Sidigu may have been rusty, but even if he was in form, I don't think he's making a save. You know, it was such a perfectly placed shot. And it wasn't just the goal that impressed us. It was like in the Lazio game, he was very solid at the back. And, you know, sometimes he can be a bit too casual on the ball, but at the same time, he's also a very calm presence and he looks very assured on the ball. We talked about that play he made earlier where He bailed out Koulibaly with that slide tackle. That could have easily been a counterattack and and a goal for Torino. That would have completely changed the complexion of the match. So it's great to see him playing well. We talked about Diego Demme as well. What did you think about his performance?
0: Oh, not just this performance, but since he came in, he's been an absolute revelation for me. I think Napoli fans give him credit, but I think as a whole, Serie A fans and in all of Europe, He's an underrated player, highly underrated. We brought him in for 12 million. He was the captain of RB Leipzig, who's doing very well. They play total football, modern football. And he left and Gattuso, give him credit, requested Deme. And since he's come in, he's only proven himself more and more with every time he plays for me. I just fall more and more in love with him. He has so much energy. He recovers the ball. He's all over the field he defends he fights he starts attacking plays and to me he is the epitome of a modern midfielder he plays that total football where if somebody takes his position he goes in their position you know and he does it naturally so as soon as you have dembe in your team it becomes a dynamic team it becomes a modern team and with dembe you can play defensive football you can play attacking he's very versatile And I think we're not the same team when he's not in the starting 11. I think he's one of those nailed on guys. If he's healthy, he needs to be starting. And then it's whoever you want to pair him with. Obviously, right now, him and Fabian have to be the first choice. And they complement each other well. But we saw yesterday, even with Bakayoko, Deme and Bakayoko also combined very well. So Deme is the glue. I think you could put him next to someone with different attributes, whether it be Bakayoko, Fabian, even Zielinski in the deep role sometimes. And I think because of his versatility and because of his well-roundedness and his hunger, I think other than a couple of bad performances, he's been remarkably consistent and only getting better and better the more he melds with the team.
1: Yeah, and he almost got excluded in a way because Gattuso had requested Bakayoko. He started the season well and... Fabian has to play in that other role in the midfield. So Deme was sort of the odd man out and he wasn't playing a whole lot. He only got to play really when Fabian started missing some games. And then when Bakayoko sort of fell out of form, Deme came back in and you're right. He's been very consistent. I thought he was excellent yesterday as well. Interestingly, even though Bakayoko quote unquote replaced Fabian on on the team sheet, really what happened there was Bakayoko played in Deme's role And Deme covered for Fabian and played in more of that box-to-box midfielder role. And, And you talk about his flexibility and his ability to play in different positions. That's it right there. He's a guy that we normally rely on to be a holding midfielder. But he can also distribute the ball. He was doing that really well yesterday. I think had we scored more goals, he probably would have been the guy that assisted on them because he was setting everybody up. Or if not getting the assist, he was the guy that played the pass before the pass. I think he was the one that fed Osaman on all three of those shots that Sirigu stopped. He, he played a, a nice long ball for Insignia on a play where Insignia probably should have squared the ball and elected to shoot. And the guy does not stop working. He ran, I think it was 13 kilometers yesterday, which is by far more than anyone else ran on the field. And not to belabor the point, but again, it's that depth that we have in the squad when we're healthy, where if a guy is not playing well, or if a guy picks up a minor knock like Fabian did, we have enough depth that we can bring guys in off of the bench to fill roles and and not just fill them, but to play really well. So we're firing on, on all cylinders. I do want to touch again on Osman quickly, and then we'll move on to the coaching situation we kind of covered most of it, but as the season goes on, he's gonna continue to play a big role. And then, as you said, next season he'll be the the go to guy, especially you know with with our push to the Champions League. I think he'll be a key part of that. And Mertens is getting older. We'll see, you know, how much Mertens can contribute. Going forward, And I think slowly Mertens will become that veteran presence and maybe that mentor figure for Osiman, and, and Osiman will take over that lead role. But I don't think it's a coincidence that our success lately has coincided with Osman's success. And as a result of that, we've started putting together all of these wins. I mentioned our record in the last 11 games, we've only dropped points to, uh, you know, the loss to Juve, which sucked, but then the draw to Inter and the draw to Sassuolo. And with that, we've pushed ourselves back into a Champions League position. We're technically in third place at the moment. It's a little bit tricky to work out the table because we're tied in points with Milan and Juve, but they still have to play each other still. So I think that gives us a bit of an advantage in terms of the point total. As I mentioned earlier, we have the easiest run-in. So with this recent success, and now all of the reports out there are that we, we, along with Atalanta, are probably favored to finish in the top four after Inter, and then that fourth spot is still kind of up for grabs. And because of that, rumors have surfaced that Gattuso may choose to stay at Napoli. At the same time, we've seen reports that talks with Luciano Spalletti have intensified. Who knows if these reports are actually true or not. We've been in the silenzio Stampa for months now, so we haven't heard anything from the club. But what are your thoughts on this whole Gattuso-Spalletti debate?
0: OK, well, on the gattuso Spalletti debate, I think we have to look at everything from a global standpoint. OK, and what I mean by that is let's not have a narrow view or have recency bias and try and look at things a little bit objectively. Put yourself in maybe ADL shoes and, 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 and look at it this way. I don't want to jinx it like all Napoli fans and all Napolitans. I'm very superstitious. So regarding the whole top four Milan, Juve, I have my thoughts on where we're going to finish. And I think that other than Inter and Atalanta, everything is open. I think those are the only two who are guaranteed top four. And I think the other two spots are there to be fought for. However, if Gattuso delivers us top four, you know, if I would have told you at the beginning of the season that we would get top four, you would probably have taken it, okay? Or, or most fans, right? As I mentioned earlier, that stat... We have scored in 21 Serie A games for only the third time in our history. We've scored the five plus goals. So we're, we're, we're not just playing the stereotypical Gattuso football that people think, oh, he only counterattacks, he only defends. There are times when we played more in that style and there's times where we scored five goals. So he's got a pretty versatile way of approaching the game. I think that Gattuso's hungry. I think that his best days are ahead of him in his career. Okay, And I think that he wants trophies and he's fighting for trophies and he wants to prove something with his career. Spalletti, on the other hand, has been sitting, making money. He's had a pretty good career, but I feel like he's passed his prime as a coach. I think Gattuso's best days as a coach are ahead of him and Spalletti's best days as a coach are behind him. And I think that if you look at Spalletti's career, from his early days with Roma, where I would say he was more on the cutting edge when he was inventing the false nine with Totti. Then you draw the line. He goes to Zenit. Okay, he wins trophies with Zenit. But since coming back, he did fairly well at Rome and even maybe not even so fairly well with Inter. We can get into that. But I think that he's someone who, for five times the money that Gattuso's getting paid, is not going to win his first Scudetto in history likely he'll likely get us a top four position and he plays the 4 2 three, one so you're bringing in someone for more money to play the same formation he has a big name and he's done well in his career but i think his best days are behind him he doesn't strike me as having the hunger that Gattuso has i mean can you picture Gattuso taking years off getting paid from whatever club lays him off that would never happen. Even if, even if it was a hundred million, you feel Gattuso's so hungry, he would throw the money away and say, I want to just fight. And I also think there's something to be said for, I, I spoke earlier about psychology and about group psychology and group mentality. And clearly this group has shown they love Gattuso. They fight for Gattuso. And Gattuso for me is the type of leader, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a director myself in film and I try and look, and be inspired by other leaders in other categories, such as in football. And Gattuso for me is the type of leader everyone respects because he tells you to your face. And if he has a problem with you, whether you're worth 80 million or you're worth nothing, he will treat you the same way. And he'll send you to the stands or he'll kick you out of training. But then the next day, all is forgotten. He doesn't hold grudges. And if you just look at this, Insigne, What was his biggest criticism up until now? He wasn't a good captain. He wasn't a good leader. He lacked consistency. Gattuso has brought out the real Southern green top, the real Napolitan leadership that we all knew Insigne had in him. Gattuso has brought it out. Then you look at Lozano. Talk about a flop under Ancelotti. This guy looked like you you would just send him to Serie B. He was so bad last season at times and totally looked lost. And Gattuso, we know, specifically said, you're too weak. You didn't learn Italian yet. Go home, study, strengthen up, then you come back. And he's taken Lozano from a flop to one of the best wingers in Serie A. Likewise with Politano, who even when he came in, I was a little bit, you know, is this the guy who's going to replace Callejon? Okay, Callejon was past it at that point. But is this guy really going to fill those shoes? And he's done amazingly well with Gattuso. Zelinski. Zielinski. Gattuso invented Zelinsky as the number 10. Zelinsky has, I think, nine goals, 10 assists, or well, he's got double figures, I think, in goals and assists for the first time in his career. You have to give credit to Gattuso. Zielinski himself didn't believe in himself playing as a 3-cortista at the beginning. He was nervous. He was more comfortable on the left. But he's flourished. He's got better numbers than any other number 10, I think, in Serie A right now. People want DePaul to come to Napoli. Zielinski has better numbers than DePaul. You know, Victor, he said, Part of the reason he signed for Napoli was because Gattuso showed such faith in him. And Deme, Gattuso requested Deme. So I think that Gattuso has such a good hold on the team. If you look, he's responsible for all those players individually getting better. And of course, like everyone else, when we were going through that, the dark ages at that really terrible period... There was a time where I will admit I even lost faith in Gattuso at one point. I was considering, you know, just put Tommy Starace as the as the interim manager, feed everyone uh, three cups of espresso before the game and and hope for the best because that's how dire it seemed at one point. But you have to look at not just the injuries and the bad luck, but the timing. We had both Mertens and Osiman out at the same time. We had both Koulibaly and Manolas out at the same time. It's not like we had one of them out at once and... We really had so many key players out at the same time and their backup out at the same time. And we were playing every three days. So if we're able to rebound from that dark period to get into the form we're in now, he delivers us the top four spot. I don't see why taking the chance, you know, the grass is always greener on the other side. Gattuso, the players love him. Let's say he gets us third place, okay? Okay. Can you imagine you're a player, you fought for this coach, he gets you third place. Now he leaves. Now there's a hole in your heart and in the locker room. Then Spalletti comes in, he's got a completely different attitude. And what concerns me about Spalletti is at Inter, he fell out with Icardi and let that whole thing go into a mess. At Roma, he had the problem with Totti. So this is a guy who falls out with his best players and with the stars, and he seems to have a little bit of an ego issue and with Gattuso you're never going to have that. You know also just look at the re- most recent sample size we have. I have here the statistic. Spalletti's win percentage at Inter, 90 games, 50%. Gattuso at Napoli, 76 games, so not a, a far off tally and he has 56% win percentage, even including that terrible period. And don't forget Spalletti's time at, at Inter specifically You know, they had a great first half of the season, and then they had a terrible second half of the season. And he wasn't really able to take them out of that dark period. So even though he's not entirely to blame for the Icardi-Wanda situation, it comes back to group psychology. I know that on a film set, if I have one bad apple, or if I have one person whose ego is getting out of control, that can spoil all the rest of the fruit, so to speak. So if I know that, okay, at my level and you're supposed to be an elite manager, you have to stomp out the fires before they grow. Ancelotti was not able to do that at Napoli, and I'm concerned that if Ancelotti wasn't able to do that, someone else uh, you know, like Spalletti may not be able to do that as well. We could potentially have a, a situation where we get rid of Gattuso, the fan base is all hyped up for Spalletti, and then we realize he plays even worse football, same formation, He's never won a trophy. Gattuso won a Coppa Italia, and Gattuso is more hungry to win a Scudetto with Napoli than I think Spalletti will be.
1: Well, that was fantastic. I know all the, the Gattuso lovers will be happy to hear it. Our friend Prince Salad will definitely be happy to hear that. There's not much I can add in terms of an, an argument for keeping Gattuso. I think you could also include Koulibaly as possibly a player that he turned around a little bit. We all know the class that Koulibaly has, but he came off of a pretty tough season last season, and He's back to the top of his game as well now. If you look at the body of work, I agree. He delivered a Coppa Italia in a really turbulent season, and he's very close to delivering us back to the Champions League. So taking a step back and looking at that as a whole, that's pretty impressive stuff, and I think I agree. I think we we might be guilty of changing our expectations as the season progressed and seeing that Juventus might have been a little bit vulnerable and... And our expectation went from being a top four team to winning the Scudetto, and we're all pissed off that we didn't win the Scudetto when it was up for grabs. And I get that, but at the same time, I know, again, people don't like the injury excuse, but it's a fact. And people will still point to Milan and say, well, Milan kept on getting results when they had injuries. Well, look at them now. And they haven't had that many injuries, but they're missing their key player, which is Ibrahimović. You could argue we were missing our key player, whether you want to call it Mertens or Osman or both. And that's what happens. Inter is really the only team that hasn't had any long-term injuries, at least not to key players. Like, imagine if Inter lost Lukaku and Lautaro, right? I mean, they wouldn't be at the top, at the top of the table.
0: And imagine losing them at the same time, and Skriniar and De Vrij at the same time, and having Barella have coronavirus, and having Brozovic have coronavirus, I mean, Zelinski was out for gr- long periods, Fabian was out for long periods, Osiman, Mertens, it goes on and on. The bad luck that Napoli have had this season is unprecedented. The timing of it, plus the COVID, plus playing every three days, plus no fans. And I think fans are another thing to keep into account. You know, I'm all for diversity and, uh, you know, I think that it's important to to bring in fresh faces and bring in different cultures. But... There's something to be said of that kind of Southern Italian mentality that Gattuso has, where I think with fans in the stadium, you can imagine him really firing them up in a way that uh, prime Diego Simeone at Atletico, at a club with a similar mentality, underdog mentality, he fires up the fans. And I can see Gattuso with the fans, making the fans the 13th player, more so than with Spalletti. All of these things are factors to consider. You know, Look at Mourinho, when he was at his best, he would get the fans so involved. Same with Simeone. I think Gattuso has that passion, which the crowd will feed off of. And they will see themselves in Gattuso because he's almost one of us in the way that he approaches. And I think that if there was somebody else, like let's say Allegri was willing to come to Napoli and not take an $8 million per season salary, then you can make the argument and say, okay, he might even play worse football, this and that, but this guy has won trophies. If you bring him to Napoli, you have a better chance than with Gattuso to win. But I don't see that argument with Spalletti, and I don't see that argument really with anyone else who's on the cards right now. So I think at best, you're going to get similar results for more money. It just doesn't make sense for me at this time. And, you know, Spalletti's 62 years old, And his best days where he was considered a groundbreaking coach was in 2002. That's a long time ago. You know, I was 12 years old. Now I'm almost 32. So you're talking about a lifetime ago. Some Napoli fans who we follow on Twitter, they weren't even born then. And I think that Spalletti, I've listened to his interviews. And unlike Gattuso, I think he has a huge ego, which does not uh, make sense given what he's won. Okay, if you want to be arrogant, but you're a serial winner, a trophy winner, and you're coming and you're bringing that type of good arrogance, that's one thing. But to me, this is how he comes across. The way that Spalletti sees himself is as if he's one of the best managers, as if he's got this incredible track record. Other than, like I said, he can pretty much guarantee you a Champions League place. Playing in the 4-2-3-1, Gattuso almost does the same thing. And I think he has way more hunger. And I think his best days are ahead of him. I think Unless a really, truly definitive, better option comes along, it doesn't make sense to get rid of Gattuso right now. And I think that the players going into next season, if Gattuso leaves and they bring in Spalletti, I worry about how they're going to be at, from a mental point
1: of view. Yeah, I think that's the biggest argument for keeping Gattuso is the relationship he has with the players and and their willingness to work for him. I think a large reason why people are proponents of Spalletti or even Galtier is because they look at Gattuso as someone who tactically has his limitations and then you look to the market and see who's out there and those are kind of the biggest names available other than Allegri as you said who I don't believe is going to be coming I think he just costs too much and yeah he would want to play in the Champions League but I think he's far more likely to do that for Juventus than he would for Napoli at the end of the day, all you want to do is win. And I would have gladly accept a, you know, a pragmatic approach if it meant winning trophies any day of the week. And Gattuso can do that too. But that's another thing that Patrick Hendrick mentioned on, on the broadcast on Monday was that Gattuso has returned entertaining football to Napoli. People may not recognize it all the time, or they might give all the credit to the players. But as you said, we're scoring goals at a, a pretty torrent pace. And playing entertaining football again that's not really what matters what matters is results but those are coming as well so we'll see it'll be interesting
0: and another thing is along with all the goals we've scored and and the entertainment factor which like you said it's not the number one most important thing but it's relevant to a certain degree under Gattuso more so than under Ancelotti more so than under Sadi more so than under Benitez and more so perhaps even than under Mazzari. We can hold on to a lead, and we can be defensive if we have to, and we can win an ugly game, which Napoli, since I've been following the team, have never been able... And and you remember Saadi always said, we have to play this amazing football, otherwise we can't win. We have to be perfect, otherwise we can't win. And with Gattuso, he's shown that, yes, we can score five goals a game, but also if, if we have to have a tactical chess match like we had against Inter, or if we go up one goal and we're against a team who outmatches us, perhaps, you know, you have to play the art of war. And sometimes the art of war means you have to sit back and defend and hit them on the counter. Then we can do that. And I like that versatility. Now, look, is Gattuso perfect? No. Has he made mistakes? Yes. But he's 43 years old. And a lot of people say, oh, we're, we, we, don't, we can't afford to have a coach grow with us. Right? And I understand that point of view. But Gattuso at 43, he's not like Pirlo. Pirlo is a coach you're bringing in to totally develop. The guy is starting from scratch. For Gattuso's age, he's actually very experienced. He's coached in the lower leagues. He's coached in Switzerland. He's coached in Greece. He's coached the youth teams. He coached Milan. And he did an underrated job, in my opinion, at Milan. And now, likewise with Napoli. So he's growing. He's learning. And I think that, like I said, his best days are ahead of him. Spalletti's best days are behind him. You're telling me that now... At 62 years of age, Spalletti, after not being able to win a trophy with Inter or Roma, other than at Zenit, where it's a one-team league, essentially. I mean, you think he's going to come in and he's going to do more than Gattuso has done? He's going to deliver a Coppa Italia and a Champions League spot and and have some of the best goal-scoring statistics in Europe? I don't think so. I think that people are too clouded by that one negative period we had. And you have to put it in the context. Like you said, look at Milan now. They're flopping. We were facing good teams every three days. It was a confluence of things. And, and I think that had that not happened, we really could have fought for the Scudetto this year. So next season, if fans are able to come back, because let's face it, Napoli are never going to win the Scudetto without the fans in the stadium. That gives us the edge over any other team. Like you said at the beginning of this podcast, we have some of the best fans in the world, okay? We look at the fraternity that we have on Twitter. You know, I'm late to the Twitter game Because I always told myself, don't get involved, be self-disciplined, it's gonna distract you. But what a great fraternity. These are brothers and sisters who I've found. We all have a passion. And Napoli fans are known worldwide. Listen to the Sao Paulo or the Maradona now during the Champions League games and you hear us. We have the loudest fans. Likewise, Liverpool at Anfield is a similar vibe, I would say. And Liverpool at Anfield with their fans in the stadium can beat anyone. And I feel the same way about Napoli. So I think with the fans back, with COVID, maybe not totally in the past, but I think we've got a, probably a far better handle on it. I think that the sky is the limit. I think we should keep So I think Galtier is an intriguing option. And if he wins the league with Lille this year, that's an incredible accomplishment. But anytime you're bringing in somebody who's never coached in Serie A, you're taking a risk. And, and like I said, that saying of the grass is always greener on the other side... If we finish third, it's really hard for me to, to understand taking the chance and bringing in a coach who's only coached in League 1 in, in his whole career. Yes, we know he has the, the good relationship with Victor, but so does Gattuso. And does Gaultier even speak Italian? I mean, I, I know he did play, I think, for a few months in the Italian league at some point, but there's an adjustment to be made. And we've seen even people like Benitez, who had very little experience and said, yeah, okay, he had a disastrous period with Inter. But for the most part... He made his name in England and in Spain, and it's different. And look at all the best teams in Italy. They all have Italian coaches right now. So the Galtier argument, I almost would more rather that than Spalletti. But I still think that if Gattuso gets us top four, I don't really see uh, from an objective point of view how he guarantees you uh, better results.
1: I tend to agree, and it's not hate against Ligue 1, I agree, it's a different environment, different language, all of those changes. And the other thing is, what a lot of people don't realize is, and we talked about the brand of football and whether that's relevant or not, Galtier's style is very much a Simeone style of sit back and, and attack on the counter, which does work well with Osman and his pace, but I don't know necessarily that that's what the larger fan base wants. I'll have to probably bring on someone who's a Spalletti proponent to to counter argue, because I'm, I myself, I admit, I'm probably leaning more towards Gattuso than towards Spalletti for a lot of the reasons that, that you mentioned. And, and just to close, I think, uh, you know, my friend Anna always talks about, you talked about this fraternity that we have Anna calls it in in Napoli, they call it fratemma, which is that, that brotherhood that, that we all share. And I think it's a beautiful thing. And it's why I enjoy doing this series so much. We could talk for days, Vincenzo, but I think we got to wrap it up there. So I just want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast.
0: Thanks so much, Joe. It's a huge honor and I'm humbled to be asked. Hopefully we can do it again. I have a pretty cool story that I could share with you maybe another time, which has to do with the passion of Napoli fans and things like that. But, you know, I look forward to maybe doing this again one day. Thanks again, not only for having me on, but for doing the Napoli Worldwide series and your podcast as a whole. I'm a huge fan and you're a one-stop shop for all things Napoli, you know, Napoli femminile, everything to do with Napoli, you cover it and you're so consistent, which I know it's a real labor of love. And on behalf of myself and all the Napoli fans, the English-speaking Napoli fans, I want to thank you so much for what you're doing. Keep it up. And like I said, one day we'll do this in person over drinks and we'll have a celebration.
1: Absolutely. You can find Vincenzo on Twitter at VinBertillo. You can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti 5 or you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Forza Napoli Pod. I'll be back with my regular episode later in the week to get caught up on the Primavera and the other games in Serie A. We'll also preview our next game, which is against Cagliari, who are another team that are fighting for survival. But until then, I'm Joe Fischetti. Forza Napoli sempre.